0: Let's move on. We're not here for rugby. We are here for uh, the Word of God. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't quite call it a sermon today. It's going to be a bit more like a class, a bit more like a uh, uh, what's called a. I think the French call it a taster menu. You know, when you go to uh, some restaurants in, in France, when you fancy restaurants, you, you get what they call a taster menu, and you get just little bits of about twelve different things. And then you leave feeling like, okay, that was really nice. It tasted, but uh, um, I'm still hungry. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be a bit more like a, a bit like a taster menu today. And I want to kind of just wrap up. Uh, I don't know, was it about a month ago? Maybe beginning of October when I talked about uh, when we kind of finishing off the complete Unity classes. And I was talking about. Um, about that quadrant, and we did that survey, that self-assessment of the spiritual types, the K H, etc., cetera, etc. And I just want to wrap that up a bit today, and finish off my some final thoughts on unity, and what the Bible says about unity. So, but before we go to the scriptures, let's uh, go to God in prayer. Dear God, heavenly Father, we praise you on this lovely morning. God, uh, it's so nice; that the sun shining outside and blue skies. But we thank you even more that you are the light of our lives, God. Father, thank you for your word that has been sent to this earth in the form of Jesus that brought light to our lives. Thank you for the word that we can open and listen when you speak to us, Father, when we read the scriptures, God. Father, we pray that you open our hearts and minds uh, this morning, God, that your spirit will speak to each one of us and uh, meet our needs, God. Father, please give us wisdom uh, and open hearts and minds. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start off here, um, if you want to open your Bibles and read along, I'm I'm reading from the New English Translation, Ephesians 4, from verse 1, when he says, I, so I, Paul, therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When Paul talks about unity, and sometimes when we talk about unity, uh, when we look around us in the world, unity is severely missing. (laughs) It is the world is sometimes, I don't know, it just seems to get more and more disunified. There was great attempts after the Second World War to set up some kind of unifying body like the United Nations. Let's try and get the world united in some kind of way. And, I mean, noble attempts. but the more we look around us, it just seems like the world is getting more (laughs) and more disunified. And Paul here calls us to, to unity, and specifically talking to Christians. And there's an interesting contradiction here. He says we need to put up with one another in love. Now, anyone who's, uh, who's had maybe annoying siblings in the household, <laughs> or parents and children, or maybe students who, or friends who live together in a household, kind of can relate to how it feels like, oh, you know, sometimes we just have to put up with another. I see some rolling eyes and eyebrows raised and heads nodding, as at least some people can relate. Um, It's sad, actually, how we we, we kind of have to be commanded, reminded, urged. He says, I urge you to put up with one another in love. And it's even the same in Christianity. Even in Christianity, we sometimes have to put up with one another. Even in our small little spiritual family here in Watford, we sometimes have to put up with one another Um, when uh, we start irritating each other or we see each other's habits. It's like, why do they keep on behaving like that? And... uh, What the amazing thing is, is like in in our human sinfulness and our sinful nature and our failings, we think that unity is something that we need to strive to and create. Yet what Paul says, we need to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. He doesn't say build unity, forge unity, create unity. He says, keep the unity of the Spirit. Where does this unity come from? It was actually given to us. When every Christian gets baptized, he says, we get baptized into the body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about we are united with Christ. Our unity comes from the Spirit that we receive at baptism. It is gifted to us by God. It is kind of, it is taken as fact. When you become a Christian, you're unified, you're united. So our job is actually not to build unity or create unity. In our sinful nature, we generally tend to actually just break down the unity, damage it, harm it, destroy it, through our pride, through our stubbornness, through uh, our individualism, and so on and so on. We can go on with the list. But what we're actually called to do is actually keep that unity that we've had from the very beginning. Have you ever met a young Christian that feels disunified or that feels like, oh, I don't quite belong here. I feel, you know, there's some disunity here, but let me just get baptized anyway. Oh, I'm a young Christian, but I don't feel so great. I haven't met a young Christian like that yet. When they're baptized, they're like, life is great. It's so awesome to be part of this one body of Jesus. They don't even think about disunity. And then over time, it kind of develops in some way. And that's what Paul says. We need to make an effort to keep that unity that we had in the beginning. And maybe as a Christian, you've been around for a long time. And over time, you've built up some of these things that cause disunity. And actually, the, the longer we've been Christians, maybe sometimes it needs even more effort to keep that unity. So it takes effort. It takes effort to keep that unity of the Spirit. So when I talked about... Uh, About those spiritual types We talked about one of the things that cause disunity Is These different Approaches to how we perceive God How we perceive our Christian life So if you were not here at that time I'm not going to go through that whole lesson again It's online, you can go and watch it There's a survey as well that you can do self-assessment But effectively you end up in one of these four quadrants And From top to bottom you get Mind and heart and from left to right you get apophatic, which is the mystery of God, and cataphatic, the revealed God. And then you end up as either a KM or a KH or an AM, so top left would be AM, bottom left would be AH. And because we experience and live our Christian lives and our relationship with God and with each other in, in so many very different ways, where some people are very rational, practical in their Christian life, top right. And other people are very much feeling and the mystery of God. I need to experience God and know God. And it's all about the heart. They kind of bottom left. And because we are so different, we sometimes, that creates disunity because we don't understand each other. And we we get judgmental about each other's behavior. Uh, So that's kind of a summary of what that was about. The answer to how we resolve that was to, to get to understand each other, appreciate each other's differences. But then I kind of left it just in the air when I said, well, actually we need to practice spiritual disciplines in these four areas to bring us closer to the center, to center us more, for us to be more balanced and to understand each other better. And that's what I want to talk about today is just give a bit of a taster of what spiritual disciplines are all about. And how we can practice spiritual disciplines to balance us more and to, for, to, to help us to understand Christians that are so very different from us, because that will also bring more and more unity in our fellowship together. Uh, so, we had those four quadrants K-M, K-H, A-H, AM, and the warning that if you're kind of on the extremes of any of those, then it's something that we need to work on to get more balanced. Uh, right, so. What to do with this? Uh, We talked about if you have one of it, be aware of exaggeration, pursue balance and growth, practice spiritual disciplines in the other quadrants. If we carry on in chapter 4 of Ephesians, in verse 13, remember he just talked about how we need to make an effort to maintain the the, the unity of the Spirit? In verse 13 he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature so we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes but practicing the truth in love we will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head spiritual disciplines and unity is all about maturing as Christians And not being one-dimensional, but being multi-dimensional in our character as a Christian. And I don't know, the psychologists, so we have some among us, maybe they can explain that more to you and help me out if I'm wrong, but kind of the way I look at it, we've got a personality and we've got a character. That's how I describe it. Our personality is kind of more your identity, the, the who you are. That's almost kind of fixed in a way. But our character can change over time. And we are called to change our character. In what way? To become more mature. To become more like Christ. And the more mature we become, the more like Christ we become, the more unified we become. We need to grow up to be like Christ. And that's what spiritual disciplines are all about. Christ himself... It says in Luke 2, very early on, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God in man. What does it mean when it says Jesus grew in stature? Did he, did he grow taller? Did he grow broader shoulders? Did he go to the gym and, you know, bulk up a bit? <laughs> what do you think it means if he grew in stature? Any thoughts? Yes, sir. A more prominent character, yeah. Pro- Any other thoughts? I don't know the answer, by the way. I'm just looking for <laughs> for ideas. He became more respected. More respected, yeah. More prominent, more respected. More of a, like a presence. More of a presence. I like that. Yeah, a presence. Mm-hmm. Someone with stature has presence. Yeah. Prominent, respectful, respectable. He knew what he stood for. He knew what he stood for. What other people knew was that? Yeah, he got known for what he stood for, right? Yeah, he wasn't just a fluffy character. People knew exactly what he was standing for. Um, he grew in stature. He had convictions, deep convictions, strong convictions. Any other thoughts about growing in stature? But that's what we're called to as Christians as well. As we get transformed in Christ-likeness, we should also be growing in stature so that we become respected with deep conviction, more prominent, um, that is how Jesus grew. And what's interesting, if we, when we look at the spiritual disciplines, we can go down the list and kind of tick the box for Jesus in each one of them. We'll, we'll do a bit of an exercise around that. So that's the question is, um, you know, what will you look like when you reach spiritual old age? Any guesses who that is? <laughs> Me? You reckon? <laughs> Can you see the resemblance, or are you just guessing because, you know, I put it up there? <laughs> yeah, that, that's me as a, as a, I don't know how all that was, probably, I don't know, a year or two. So cute. Oh, thank you, Leon. <laughs> you mean now, or you mean the photo? <laughs> so, one thing is for sure, whether you, whether you recognize, recognize me in that or not, I don't look like that anymore. And I hope none of you, if I take a photo of you when you were two or five years old, still look the same. We grow up, and we change, and we grow in stature as we grow older. And spiritually, we are called for the, to the same. That spiritually, we also grow up. That we don't look like the Christian we were when we were just baptized. That over time, we mature, and people will look at you, and, and, and spiritually look at you, and, and think like, you know our little kids, when the family gets together, they haven't seen each other for a year or two, or, and they're like, oh wow, you've grown, you've changed, look how tall you are, wow, you've become quite big. And is it spiritually the same? Because that's what we're we call to. We should be growing and maturing spiritually as well, in a sense that maybe you see an old friend that you haven't seen for five years, and they won't only note your gray hair, or less hair, or it's like, mm, you've become quite gray. Oh, you had more hair the last time I saw you. But will they also see that, hmm, you're a lot more patient than, uh, than, than when I knew you some years ago. Oh, wow, you've, uh, you've become very peaceful, not so anxious anymore. Or whatever it is in your character that has grown or changed. That in spiritual old age, we should also have matured and grown and not look the same as we looked when we were spiritual babies. And the spiritual disciplines is all about being very intentional, taking steps, making that effort that Paul calls us to, so that we allow God to transform us to become more like Christ. So what is a a spiritual discipline? Uh, It's a choice we make between, you know, are we going to go the discipline way or down the self avenue? It's the the essence of discipleship, to deny ourselves and say, I'm going to go a different way. But a definition of spiritual disciplines. uh, It's the spiritually minded, so it's not about, you know, it's not a self-help book or a, you know, how to get better that you can buy in any uh, bookshop. It is all about being spiritually minded. So there's spiritually minded training steps and actions. So things we do, very intentionally, that we take to prepare ourselves for God to form Christ in us. As we walk with God on our spiritual journey to maturity. So that's kind of a definition of what spiritual disciplines uh, are. And then there's a list. There's 29 items on this list. Who came up with this list? Well, it's not just uh, one person. Various people studied it. It's all from the Bible. But they kind of looked at themes in the Bible and topics and said, you know what, these are themes and patterns in the Bible. We'll come back to this list. Um, and they did a deeper dive into them. and said, OK, well, what, what does all this mean? Uh, some books that I can I can recommend is there, uh, Can You Drink the Cup? And um, Spiritual Formation from Henry Nowen. Uh, Kenneth Boa conformed to his image, Uh, The Disciplined Life, Richard Taylor, The Spiritual Disciplines, uh, Dallas Willard and Richard Foster's, what's that one called? Uh, Celebration of Discipline. And then uh, Malcolm also wrote an an, an e-book called The Spiritual Disciplines, fairly simple. And between these books, they basically cover these spiritual disciplines. Now some of them are fairly obvious. You know, it's like, an, oh, everybody knows what, uh, it's fairly clear what number five means, evangelism. You know, it's spreading the gospel, talking to people about your faith, about Christ. Uh, some of them may not mean what we think it means. It's just a word to kind of describe a concept, like silence, number 20, or number 18, secrecy. Uh, number 21, simplicity. It's kind of a list of things we intentionally start practicing so that we can develop and grow our relationship with God and our character in Christ. So if we go down that list, celebration, for example, um, it's a very outward thing. It's a communal thing. So some of them are outward-focused and they are community-focused. Some of them are very individual and inward-focused, like number 11, meditation. It's something you can do in a group, but it's also a very personal thing. And we're not going to go through all 29 of those. I do have a teaching series that, I, that I've done over two days, kind of deep diving into the spiritual disciplines and some warnings and the dangers of uh, overemphasis on spiritual disciplines. Uh, we'll come to some practicals. It's just to give you some idea of what, it, what these spiritual disciplines look like. So there are some great books, which I can recommend, uh, where you can do a deeper dive into the spiritual disciplines. And, in fact, they're all available on Amazon. Uh, Malcolm's book, The Spiritual Disciplines, in fact, you can get as a free e-book. And since it's free, you can know for certain that uh, I don't get any commission on this. (laughs) Malcolm didn't pay me. Uh, All you need to to do, you know, I hear you ask, but how? Well, you simply need to subscribe to Malcolm's newsletter. You can email him at Malcolm at MalcolmCox.org, and he will send you a free copy of his book, The Spiritual Disciplines. Now there's not one definitive list. That list of 29 is just what people came up with. This is a very complicated slide, <laughs> but what I did, I basically went through all those books. I listed all the disciplines at the top there. That's the the, the list of 29, like celebration, chastity, etc., etc. Down the left-hand side, we've got the authors: Dennis Willard, Richard Foster, etc. And then, which ones included which disciplines in their list, and so on. What is interesting is the way that they've grouped and focused the spiritual disciplines. Uh, so the first one there, Dallas uh, Willard, he talks about abstinence and engagement as two kind of groups of disciplines. What does it mean? Engagements are the things that you deliberately take up, practice, for example, uh, let's a confession is a discipline of engagement, whereas a discipline of abstinence is fasting, as an example. So you die, deny yourself some food. You abstain from food. Uh, so that's, that's one view of the disciplines. Some of them are things that I engage with, that I practice, and some of the things that I stay away from or avoid. Uh, Richard Foster has three divisions. He calls them inward, outward, and corporate. So there's kind of like an individual disciplines, uh, and then there's corporate disciplines. A good example is prayer. Prayer can be individual something I do on my own. And it can also be something we do collectively, where we pray together. Kenneth Boa, he just made a list. Uh, Richard um, Arabic, he's got a, a very spirit mind, he calls them inhaling and exhaling. So it's a bit like disciplines that gives us energy, like we inhale oxygen. And exhaling, where we exude that energy. So it's like in taking in and giving out is each discipline. So for example, a discipline of uh, inhaling would be, let's take uh, meditation, would be an inhaling discipline. And an exhaling discipline would be service. So serving other people would be an exhaling. So, So we get our energy, and we give our spiritual energy. Uh, Henry Nguyen, he he also grouped it in inward and outward. Uh, Steve Kennard, he talks about dependence and interdependence, where some disciplines are about dependence on God and some disciplines about interdependence on other people. So disciplines like practicing uh, one another relationships. That is an interdependence discipline. And then Malcolm just has a list uh, in his book. Uh, He doesn't categorize them. So if we think about Jesus, uh, let's go back to this list here. Uh, let's, uh, let's, Let's pick some numbers. If I pick a number between 1 and 29, don't look at the list. Just pick a number between 1 and 29. 27, okay. So 27, watching. Oh, that's a good one. Now let's think about these things. If you think about, let's think about what Jesus practiced, what we see in the Gospels. Now, first, we need to think about watching. What on earth does that mean? Does anybody know where Jesus practiced watching? Yes, Liz, yeah. this is a, I don't know if this is what you're thinking, but um, <clears throat> what came to me was that time when a woman was caught in adultery, and Jesus doesn't spring straight away. I don't know how long he had been watching, but he doesn't immediately, he clearly has observed what's going on before he actually stands up and says, okay, the first time I got sin, you cast that stone. Okay, that's a really good, I love that. That's the thing where we need, to kind of get to, we need to study the disciplines because they may not always mean what we think we mean. Watching is a kind of an old English word where, you know, when someone has passed away, there's a watch. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed and he, can anybody know, remember what he told the disciples? He said, watch, watch and pray with me. Have we ever thought about what did he mean by watch and pray with me? Okay, that's, that's something we know that he practiced when he, in the Garden of Gethsemane because we won't go into the details of now of what that means. But, uh, so that's something that Jesus practiced. Who else can I pick on? Um, can pick a number between 1 and 29. Don't look at the list, just a number. Don't look at the list, look at me. Sixteen. <laughs> 16. 16, sacrifice. Did Jesus practice sacrifice? Oh my goodness! He gave his life. I mean, what more can you give? Of course, he practiced sacrifice. Uh, One more, Uh, um, David. Pick a number between one and twenty-nine. Seven. 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 Fellowship. Did Jesus practice fellowship? In what way did he practice fellowship? Some examples. With the disciples. What? With the disciples. In what way? What? Lizzie? Spending time with him. Spending time with him, yeah. Yeah, there's m- multiple examples of fellowship. He we went to Zacchaeus' house for dinner and uh, for a meal. Uh, we see many examples of fellowship. The, the last meal, the, the Passover meal was, was fellowship. Uh, and many, 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 many other examples. In fact, if we go down this list, we see that Jesus practiced every one of these spiritual disciplines. And that is like, in What? He was a complete and whole and mature person. That's how he grew in stature. And that is what we're called to do, is is not to just play to our strengths, but also grow in the areas where we are lacking or where we have a weakness. And most of us naturally, like we saw in that spiritual uh, types in those quadrants, most of us naturally by default fall into uh, into one of these quadrants. And what we're called to do is to not just stay in that quadrant, but expand our spiritual life so that we can kind of be more balanced. It doesn't mean we need to deny our natural strengths and our gifts. I have my gifts that come very natural to me. Uh, (coughs) Teaching is is a gift. How do you know it's a gift? It doesn't doesn't feel like it takes effort. It doesn't feel like it takes energy. It comes very natural. I, I look forward to it. It's a... Then there are other areas of my life which is definitely not natural of my spiritual life. Prayer is, for me, prayer is something which I have to be very intentional about practicing. I can sit down and read my Bible for an hour, no problem. But to pray for an hour, for me, it's hard work. It has to be very intentional. And that is what practicing the spiritual disciplines are about, is not to pick the things that, are, that we're comfortable with, or that's easy, or that comes natural to us, but to actually expand our spiritual character in, into other areas. So um, where are we? Done with that. So we're not going to go into all this detail, but if we kind of plot out these spiritual disciplines on, that, on those quadrants, then for example, I'm naturally in that top right quadrant, KM. And you'll see that, oh, memorizing, study. Those are things which come very natural to me. I'm happily will study my Bible. I memorize scripture. I love it. I enjoy it. No problem. Bottom left corner for me, things like uh, simplicity, meditation, journaling. What? It's like, that's not something I do. Other people I know, they love to journal. You don't have to teach them, encourage them. They just do it naturally and they do it consistently every day and they will tell you about how much it means to them, etc. In every quadrant, there are spiritual disciplines. The point is not to only practice the ones that we're comfortable with that naturally fits with us, but to also try and practice some of the disciplines in the other quadrants because in that way you not only will grow, but you'll also get to understand and appreciate and be less judgmental of those who are so different and opposite from you. On this matter of prayer, for example, I was like in, how can I learn how to pray? I want to understand how do people pray for so long? Uh, Back in the, when was this? Maybe, I think it was in the 90s. There was um, an evangelist in London, uh, Mark Templer. Many, some of you may know him. But he was known for his uh, disciplined prayer life and that he prayed for an hour at least every day. And uh, so I was like how can someone pray for an hour every day? And i was like, okay, I'm struggling with this, but I'm gonna learn. So I actually set up time with him and said, Mark, please, can I come and pray with you? He's like, yeah, sure, but you need to at my front door at six o'clock in the morning. Don't be late because I leave at six, I go for a walk for an hour and I pray and, and, and then we'll be back. And so I showed up at his door, and, and we went for a walk for an hour, and he's like, in, this is my prayer time. You can pray afterwards, but this is my hour of prayer. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's perfectly fine. I just want to understand how you pray for an hour. And I walked around with him for an hour and, and kind of learned to understand how he prays. What are the things that he prays about that can fill an hour? And then at the end of that hour, I realized, wow, he could probably go on for another hour. Um, but it's by by... By getting closer to to those that that have a strength in that area, by by being intentional about it, we get to understand, we learn, and we grow ourselves. Um, So pick some spiritual discipline, not in your quadrant, to expand your horizons, if you can put it like that. Let's touch on uh, just two examples, Uh, one of which is a natural strength of mine. And this is not for you to say, okay, you need to do this because I do it. but one is a natural strength of mine, and one is something which I learned to develop and appreciate. Memorizing. Memorizing scripture. Um, this is just to give you a taster of what is spiritual discipline, if you do a bit of a more of a deep dive into it, what it means. So memorizing. Memorizing scripture. Deuteronomy 11 verse 18 says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols in your hands and bind them on your foreheads. That was uh, the, the command of uh, Moses. Uh, well, the prophecy from God through Moses. Did Jesus memorize scriptures? Absolutely, in Matthew 4 verse 4, when he was tempted by the devil, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Three times he was tempted, three times he quoted the scriptures, and said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Not because he carried all his scrolls with him, but because he memorized the scriptures, he knew what they said. So that's one example of of a spiritual discipline, is memorizing scripture. Um, I use an app, and that's just a graph about how memorizing works. Initially when you do it the first time, memory drops off very quickly, and if you repeat it every day for a while, it sticks a bit longer, and then you leave it for a week, and then you remind yourself again, and then you leave it for a month, and then you remind yourself again, and and that way you kind of transfer memory from your short-term to your long-term memory. Uh, I use an app called uh, Remember Me. And all my scriptures that I've memorized in there, I'm up to, I think that's an old screenshot. What was that? 367, that's when I just passed the mark of a scripture for every day. I'm up to 415 or something now. But I use an app, it's part of my daily routine. It is so part of my daily routine that it's not, I don't have to kind of be intentional about it anymore. It's become a habit that I get out, wake up in the morning, it pops up as a notification, but I don't even need that. And in the mornings, I go through my memory scriptures, I review them, whether it's a daily, a weekly, a monthly, or an annual one. And in that way, that way, I'm very intentional about memorizing scripture. Once I got to the point of that being a habit, then I can start focusing on other things. Here's a different, this is my strengths kind of area, my top right quadrant. Bottom left is something called solitude, where it's more about experiencing God. It's not about the mind and the rational God, about the rational, logical understanding of God. It is about the heart and about the mystery of God, and seeing God and experiencing God in different ways and places. The spiritual discipline of solitude me, means it's to refrain from our normal need for human conversation and interaction in order to make room for our relationship with God. It's a condition of the heart and mind where we are inwardly separated from the activities of the world, to be open to the blessing of inner quietness, and it's a lot of these disciplines are connected. So solitude... Works very well with fasting, for example. Um, What is solitude? The extreme of solitude is you go as a hermit and go and live on a mountain all on your own. Away from all people and you stay there for years and years and years. That's the danger of many of these spiritual disciplines. That they they take us so far out that we get disconnected from the actual reason why we're doing it. This is solitude. This is uh, one of my favorite places. In the world, if you had to tell, if you told me you could pick one holiday, one place to go to, that would be it. It's a farmhouse in the middle of the desert in uh, Namibia, where we lived. There is uh, no electricity. There's no mobile signal. There's no internet. There's no landline telephone. Um, it is completely disconnected from anywhere. It's about an hour's drive to the nearest next farmhouse. So it's not completely way, 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 way out, but it's a a fair distance from from anybody anybody else, any other people. Uh, And it's a place of, there's no TV, of course, Uh, it's a place of complete silence. And it's a place where I've learned to disconnect from the world. And it's amazing how unsettling it can be. I had a brother visit me uh, from the church in New York. He actually came to Wintouk in Namibia for a conference. And I've never been to New York, but I've heard that if I thought London was busy and noisy, I can multiply that by 10 and that'll be New York. Uh, So so it seems like some people know. Okay, is that about accurate? Okay, so apparently it's very busy, very noisy, and it's 24 seven. So this brother came to visit in Vintuk. He grew up his whole life in New York. Uh, he's very much a city person. And uh, anyway, so he came to visit, uh, stayed for the weekend. On a Saturday, I said, have you ever been to the desert? He said, no, he's just uh, hes actually, he said, he's never left New York. He loves New York. He's never been out of New York. He's been to one or two other cities for work, but he's not an outdoors countryside person. I, I couldn't comprehend that, but OK, you know, some people are like that. I said, Have you ever been? So, you've never been to the desert or anything like I'm going to take you out to the desert. And it doesn't take far along. It's, it's, you, you can drive an hour out of Vintuk, the capital city. And it, at night, it is complete darkness. It's just indescribable. You can see the stars, the Milky Way, almost like in a planetarium. But the most amazing thing about it is the silence, because there's no sound of anything. Man-made. Okay, I'm just going to speak up (laughs) to the best of my abilities. It's fine, Leon, don't worry about it. I took him out in the desert, and I I, I said, okay, we drove for an hour, took him out to the desert. I said, okay, let's just sit on a rock here and enjoy the view. And I said, we're going to be quiet. And he wanted to say something. I said, no, no, just be quiet. And we sat for about five minutes, and he started panicking. He's like, oh no, <gasps> what is that? What is that, what's going on? I'm like, in, what, what do you mean? He says, I, it's just like, what is that sound? I said, what sound? That He said, it, it goes like <laughs> I said, you know what that is? That's the sound of your heartbeat and the blood in your ears. <laughs> when it's so quiet and so silent, you can actually kind of experience your own heartbeat and your, and, and he, he, he completely panicked. He, he got anxious. He's like, I can't handle this. This is too much for me. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost like a sensory deprivation just from pure silence and solitude. And he had to actually, he, he literally had an anxiety attack because of that. That is something, this, that, that's what solitude and there's another spiritual discipline called silence If we can overcome the things of this world, the busyness, the over-communication, the information overload, all the sounds, all the inputs we get and disconnect ourselves from that and take the time for that and be comfortable with silence. Because it's surprising how uncomfortable many people are with silence, especially when they're with other people. To just sit in silence. (laughs) After a few minutes, most people get, aren't we supposed to say something? Can someone please say something? This is very uncomfortable. There should be some conversation going all the time. There should be music in the background. There should be switch on the news or something. But if we allow ourselves and train ourselves, and that's what spiritual discipline is about, it's about training ourselves in this spiritual discipline of solitude and silence, then we can really start experiencing the mystery of God. The Spirit speaking to us. When we've we've taken away all the other things that drown out the voice of God, we can hear Him speak to us. So this is just an example of a spiritual discipline. That as we practice it, we get more connected with God. We mature and we grow. We become more like Christ. We spent 40 days out in the desert on His own. In complete silence. And as we mature, we also appreciate each other more and we will also grow in our unity. So that's a taste and menu, put it into practice. There's 29 spiritual disciplines. Um, I would recommend start with Malcolm's free book. It's a, uh, he covers, uh, I think six or eight of the basic ones, uh, very practical ones. And from Malcolm's book, uh, we're gonna skip over these. These are some uh, some surveys about when we try and put things into practice. Uh, Nobody's actually really good at putting things into practice. It takes very intention. Um, Skip over those. Um, How do we put it into practice? Study the scriptures, but not just read, proper homework, read it, meditate over it, pray through it, then practice it, especially because some of it we may not find comfortable or even pleasant, as I just described. And we have to push through that uncomfortability, that unpleasantness. Um, And then very important, pick one. Pick one of those spiritual disciplines and just work on one at a time. Each discipline that doesn't come naturally to you is challenging on its own. Practice it so you can master it, so it can become a habit, you can become comfortable with it. Also, find a friend, like I went praying with with Mark, Um, someone to partner with. And then a final word of warning. We practice these disciplines to to attune ourselves to God. It's not about merit badges. It's not about like the Boy Scouts. Like, okay, I've got the prayer badge now. My next badge is going to be the fasting badge. And, you know, add the badges to our sleeves. That's not the point. Um, These are some practicals from Malcolm's book, The Spiritual Disciplines. And uh, it being that time of the year where everything happens early, you know, you've seen that it's just in November, and the Christmas ads have started, and I see in the shops the Christmas decorations are up, so why not take November to make a New Year's resolution, <laughs> <laughs> since we're doing everything early, and think about what one spiritual discipline can you pick, and if you're not sure, ask around, ask advice, what one spiritual discipline can you pick that's going to take you out of your comfort zone into trying something different, and Make a decision to say, I'm going to work on this, on this one spiritual discipline. And really practice it and get to know it, study it out, and grow in that way as a Christian. Uh, we're going to have communion now. And back to that passage in Ephesians 4 uh, that we were reading in verse 7. Paul says, but to each of one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. When we look at that list of 29 spiritual disciplines and we think like, wow, Jesus ticked the box. It's not about the badges, but he, he uh, exemplified each one of those spiritual disciplines. We can easily be discouraged and realize how, how short we fall. It's like, oh, yeah, I can maybe three of them, you know, I'm okay. in, And 26, I'm missing. But Jesus died on the cross to fill all those missing gaps. So that to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. We don't have to feel guilty about it. We don't have to feel bad about it. Because the the, the grace given to us covers all our shortcomings. And when we have the communion now, let's uh, think about that. That Jesus' body was broken on the cross and his blood was spilt on the cross. So that we can receive this grace that Paul is talking about and I'm gonna ask Liesl to come and pray for the communion.